I'm 21 years old. I'm standing in line at a cafeteria in one of the largest cities in the world in Asia. I'd been on the campus probably for about a week, and I was there to study and to do ministry, and I'd been meeting as many people as I possibly could, and so it wasn't strange that I would be there and someone would come up and say, hey, can I talk with you? My friend said to go talk to you, whatever. But I'm sitting there and I get this tap on my shoulder. And mind you, I'm in this cafeteria and the cafeterias on the universities in Asia um, are like, it's basically like a mall food court on steroids. I mean, the, the building itself, it's its own building and it's five floors, escalators, and each floor, literally, I mean, so there's thousands of people around, not, not, no, no kidding. And I get this tap and I turn around and it's someone I didn't recognize, and so I just said, hey, what's up? And he said, hey, I need to talk to you, uh, you know, in the best English he had, and it was, it was pretty actually good, and he, he, I was like, okay. And so I grabbed my food, and I grabbed my tray, and we go sit down, and he's like, well, can we go talk out there? And so I was like, what's up? Like, and he goes, I just, he goes, I saw you on the escalator. He goes, as I was coming down, you were coming up, and he's like, I just, I knew I needed to talk to you. And so I said, okay, like, let's sit and talk. And so we, we start talking, and he presents his name as Edison, Turns out he's a grad assistant, and he's at the engineering school. He's, he's working in an engineering firm, and he's teaching here. And in both places, he just begins to tell me about hardships of life and all the things he's faced and struggled with, but in particular, the amount of persecution he's facing for being a follower of Jesus. And so I just said to him, why do you want to talk to me? He goes, well, again, I saw you on that escalator, and something inside me just said, go talk with this guy. I kid you not, thousands of people, hundreds as you're going up and down these escalators of four or five stories, and he picks me out of this crowd. Over the next couple of days, Edison and I sit down and we talk, and I had actually only been following Jesus for probably about six months. By the grace of God, he found me and saved me and transformed my life in college. And so I'm here in this foreign country, in this place, where this guy out of nowhere picks me out of a crowd. And over the next, again, couple of days, we talk about just life and faith, sharing each other one other's stories. And one day we're sitting down, and I just asked him as he's talking about all the hardship, all the struggle, what it's like to actually truly be persecuted in your workplace, in your country of origin. And I just said, how do, you, how do you get through this? Like day to day, what is it that sustains you and allows you to continue to follow Jesus by faith in this context where you live? And I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. He said, it's the joy of the Lord that is my day to day strength. Now we just journeyed through the book of Nehemiah and actually that's, that's a verse out of Nehemiah chapter 8. The context of it, yeah, they're, they're, you, know, you know the context. We just talked through it, right? But it's struggle, it's persecution, it's hardship, it's working towards the rebuilding and living a life of the kingdom of God amidst a culture that's that not down for that. It's interesting because as I was thinking back about the different encounters that I've had, that one in particular, I believe at the beginning of my faith journey, when I was almost getting ready to go back to the States to graduate, to enter into the workforce, one of the things that I'd always struggled with because of my own background and my upbringing was, was a lack of joy. I, I'd been bought in, I'd bought into the, our culture's definition of joy, which is basically a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. If you knew me before I met Christ, I was a pleasure seeker. Literally everything I was doing was to try to find and experience pleasure to medicate and get away from the pain that I'd experienced as a child growing up and all, everything that I grew up in. That was my aim in life, was to find extreme pleasure and happiness, quote-unquote joy, according to the world's giving of it. But I meet this guy and hear his life and his circumstance, and he says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's the joy of Christ that allows me to endure and sustain as a faithful follower of Jesus. 
every day in this context he was living in. And again, as I've been thinking back about just encounters with different people throughout the world that I've had the pleasure of meeting, every place I've gone, it's been amazing to me that God has probably put at least one person from Cuba to Thailand to Asia to Mexico to wherever I've gone. There's always been at least one person that has stuck out to me that has been a person who had just extreme joy. And it wasn't because of the circumstances they were living in. It wasn't because they were experiencing great pleasure and happiness next to necessarily because of the context of the world they live in. You, you tracking with me? But there was a joy about these people who follow and know Jesus personally and intimately, regardless of circumstances, who would come to this place of saying, yeah, it's because of Jesus. This morning, if you haven't guessed it, we're on our third week of Advent, and this morning, we're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about what does it mean, actually, from a biblical perspective. One, what is joy, and what does it mean to have joy, and how do we actually even experience or have, attain joy according to a gospel story and narrative? And I want to look at today the, the narrative of, of Mary and Elizabeth. We're actually going to look at a, a, very, uh, a very original or traditional Christmas text. I told you we might not do that throughout this series, and we kind of haven't thus far. But today we're going to look at a very traditional uh, Christmas text. What we're talking about in Advent is this reality that it's, it's a season of, of, of waiting and of, of wanting. It's a season of looking and longing. It's a season of inviting Christ to come once more into our hearts and into our lives and into the world. It's also a time when we get to focus on God's extension of grace to us through his son Jesus Christ and his invitation for us to partner with him in bringing salvation into the world. And so I want to look at that through the story of of Mary and Elizabeth. And so if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 1. If not, it'll be up on the screen. But I want to talk about, about joy this morning, the joy that God has given to us through the incarnation, the giving of his son Jesus. And so it says in verse, starting in verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Now, the sixth month they're talking about is that it's the sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth being with child. So in that sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of, of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's interesting because the greeting that Mary receives here, she's told that it's a proclamation of favor. And yet, the initial feeling that we see that Mary gets from this is that this is, this is not very favorable at all. It's actually greatly troubling, we're told here in verse 29, that she was greatly troubled. And even the fact that the, the angel would say to her, do not be afraid again, shows us that she was afraid. There, there was nothing favorable about this in her mind's eye. She's a young woman. She's betrothed, which basically means she's engaged, but it's even more serious than our type of engagement. Like You have to get legally divorced from your betrothal to a young man named Joseph. And here she is being told that she's going to have a baby that's not his. Now, not be looked upon favorably in our culture, right? It's even way, 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 way less in, in her culture, if you can just imagine that. And so here's, here's my question is, is, what does Mary do with this? <laughs> well, I want to flip over earlier. To, I want to flip over a little later to, to see what she does ultimately end up doing with it and talk about how she gets there. I want you to flip over because one of the things that we actually know about Mary, and because if you know the, this story, 
she wrote this, she ended up writing this psalm or the song of praise called the Magnificat. And in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, it says this. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices, meaning takes joy in over and over again in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. These are the bookends kind of of this encounter between Mary and Elizabeth. And here's the question that I, I want us to consider. How does Mary go from being troubled and afraid and thrown off by this interaction with God to coming to this place of rejoicing? How does she go from fear and doubt and confusion to actually choosing joy and seeing herself as blessed? Right? Her circumstance didn't change. But something about her understanding of her circumstance and what God was doing in the midst of it obviously changed. For her to go from, again, troubled, afraid, confused, to now writing this Magnificat that ends up being one of the greatest proclamations of who Christ is and of glory for him before he came into into the earth. What I want us to do is to look at the the content in between. There's something about this interaction, there's something about this journey that takes her, allows her to go from doubt to joy, that allows her to enter in and engage in this, to experience and understand what joy truly is from a biblical and gospel perspective and what we're invited to engage in as well in this Advent season. So in the middle, it's Luke 34 to 38, and it says this, it says, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, I love how practical Mary's response is. That's just in line with my thinking. But she literally goes, how will this be? Because, like, this is my current circumstance. Like, this is my reality, angel, from God. What are you talking about? How can this be? She says, and the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, and she's conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it to be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So I think what we see here is that though the angel tried to explain to Mary the supernatural thing taking place, Mary actually needed a practical, tangible example of faith being played out, of the experience of God's grace at work in the life of another, for her to have her eyes opened up so that she could see the grace of God at work in her life as well. Mary goes from confusion and doubt and fear to joy because I think she actually embraces her doubt and she goes on a journey that allows her to wrestle with God about her circumstances and about the proclamation being given to her. And she enters into it honestly. We're told that she goes and she meets with Mary, it says in verse 39. It says, In those days Mary arose and she went with haste. She went quickly into the hill country to a town in Judah And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So the angel tells her, look, this is what's happening amongst your cousin. And Mary goes, okay, I doubt this is true. I don't know what's going on. Again, this greeting doesn't seem very favorable to me. But I'm going to give you maybe the benefit of that. Or I'm going to lean into this. I'm going to search this out. And it says she goes to actually ask Mary if, if what she's being told is actually true. And it says, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary and the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with loud cry, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped 
for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And this right here, out of the mouth of Elizabeth, gives us the biblical definition, actually, of joy. Elizabeth says, Who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For when the child that God gave me in my womb, when you greeted me, the baby in me leaped for joy. So what is joy? According to this context, in all throughout Scripture, actually, joy is this. Joy is the recognition of and the response to God's grace extended to us. Joy is the recognition of and the response to God's grace extended to us. Hold that in your mind for a second. Hold that at the screen and hold that intention with this. Again, our, our definition from culture is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Again, for Mary, this circumstance is not great pleasure and happiness. The circumstance for Elizabeth. Now, it says old age. We're not talking about she's 35 years old and having a geriatric pregnancy. No, this is like old age, like she's 60 plus, probably 80. And her whole life, she had waited for for a child. Her husband had prayed, we're told in the earlier parts of chapter one, they had waited all these years for a child. And it didn't happen, it didn't happen. They were longing, searching, desiring for something. It wasn't a great, pleasurable, happy experience for them. But what she tells us is this, that when you came in the room, there was something that I could understand and know that God by His grace was doing something to bring about life for you even in the midst of an unfavorable circumstance. God's grace is being extended to you and that's reason for great joy and blessing. Not about your circumstances, but about what God is doing by His grace in the midst of your circumstances to transform your heart, your mind, your thinking, your whole being because He is, even if it doesn't appear to be so, extending grace to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Joy. Unspeakable joy. (laughs) See, sometimes, friends, I think that we need faith and we need perspective of others to help us actually see and to recognize the grace of God in our lives. We need faith and perspective in the experience of others to help us enter in and to engage joy. Sometimes joy comes naturally, doesn't it? Like whatever it is, and there's, there's spontaneous joy from a child, from a friend, from a team that wins to, sorry for those that lost yesterday, like whatever it is, like sometimes there's just these spontaneous eruptions of joy, right? But I don't know about you, my life is not just naturally that. My life more is the reality of the hardship of living in a broken world, dealing with my own sin nature, dealing with the sin nature of people around me, sitting with, dealing with the sin nature of a humanity, having longings, having wantings, having desires, having things that go unfulfilled and living in this world, and yet Scripture comes to me and says, I ought to be a person of joy. The Gospel declares to me great good news of great joy for all people. For me, well, what does that look like? Friends, I think what Advent reminds us, and actually what these Christmas narratives remind us, is that sometimes we have to fight for joy. We have to choose joy. It is there. It is made possible for us and given to us, again, through Christ. Because joy is the acknowledgement and the recognition of the grace of God extended to us in Christ. So it's always there for the taking. But we have to choose joy. And it's greatly different than, again, what our culture would say in just the chase of great pleasure and happiness. When I was living to chase great pleasure and happiness, what I found out was that time and time again, I'd wake up the next day and it would be gone. Time and time again the next week, it would be gone. I thought I had this thing that would bring me joy and all of a sudden it could be taken away or removed. This is where Jesus says, my joy I came to give you, a joy not like the world gives you, 
just as the same thing he said about peace. And he said, I came that you'd have joy and that your joy would be complete. Your joy would be full. Why? Because true joy is acknowledging and recognizing the grace of God extended to us in the midst of every and every circumstance. Sometimes it's the grace of God making the impossible possible, as Elizabeth proclaims here, as Mary experiences here. And friends, sometimes, really all the time, it's the grace of God making the normal, mundane things of life possible. When I was thinking about joy and reading through this, and again, thinking about my own life and experience and how God has actually transformed me to be a person who can experience joy, is that the first step of joy actually is faith. It's believing that God is God and and that I'm not. It's believing that God's disposition towards me actually is favorable. That there actually is grace being extended towards me all the time. I think that was a key part of Mary's journey here. Again, she gets this announcement, we're told, from God. "This This is a favorable announcement to Mary. She's like, no, it's not. She had to wrestle with and come to the grips and the understanding, oh, that God's disposition towards me actually is favorable. That God is gracious to me all the time. See, I think there's two lessons that come out of this for me that I'd want to share with you. I think one is this. That even when God seems silent and unresponsive, He is working out His plan and He will be faithful to it. And it is a plan of grace. It is a gracious disposition towards you and I, which is cause for joy even in the silence. Second lesson for me that I think I took out of this is that even though it may not appear evident at first, again, there is always grace that abounds to us. I've got a number of situations in my life right now where I go, I'm not sure how this on the onset is favorable or this is good or this is, and of course I'm looking at it going, where's the pleasure in this? Where's the delight in this? Where's, and God's just going, will you be faithful? Will you wait and will you trust me? Will you believe that my grace is abounding towards you. It is sufficient towards you even in this. One of the verses actually that Otis got through Missio Kids a couple years ago, and we have it pinned up on our bathroom mirror, is from Acts 2.28, and it says this. It says, You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Again, a proclamation that God actually does have a favorable, gracious disposition towards me. That the path of life is found in Him. All the pleasure seeking, all the happiness seeking, everything. It's all, it's nowhere to be found except for in this path of life laid out, given to us by the grace of God in Christ. That it's in His presence we get to experience joy, true joy in life. This is a verse that I intentionally, again, painted, uh, taped on our mirror because I'm naturally not a person of joyful disposition based upon my upbringing and background. But I've had to choose joy. I've had to choose to say, yes, God, even in the midst of all these things, I believe that your grace is being extended to me in Jesus Christ. And I can experience joy. I can experience fullness of life. I'm reminded from the 12th century, uh, he was a monk. His name is Bernard of Clairvoy. He was the founder of the Cistern Monks. He wrote this and he said, Christ comes to us in three different ways in Advent. First, in Bethlehem at Christmas. Secondly, at the end of the age. And thirdly, in the lives of believers every single day. Christ comes to us first in the birth of Christ. He'll come to us again in the final days. 
but he comes to us every single day in the life of believers who choose to live by faith. And we have a chance and an opportunity to live with joy. The question is, do we choose it by allowing ourselves to look at our circumstances and see where the grace of God is, even when it's not totally apparent? And are we allowing ourselves to enter into community, sharing in the struggle together, sharing in the experiences? Because a huge part, again, of Mary's journey, it was the, it was the testimony of, of, of Elizabeth. It was someone else from the outside sharing their experience of God's grace extended to them that allowed her to look and go, oh my gosh, this is the grace of God to me. That leads her to then write, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on me with humble estate. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary recognizes and acknowledges that the Holy One, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who is all-powerful and all-knowing, stepped into her life, the life of a lowly servant girl, and brought the gift of new life through grace, and that that for her was an opportunity for her to understand herself as blessed and someone who could rejoice. Missio, here's my invitation to you today, or here's, here's, here's my question for you today. What's one area of your life that you can pause this morning and recognize God's grace extended to you in this season? What's one area of life that if you pause, you can recognize God's grace extended to you in this season? I want to give us a minute, and I want to invite you to do this. Whether you bust out your phone or whether you take one of the little pew pencils and the Advent papers there that's blank, I want to give you a minute to, 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 to write, just to think. As you stop and think about your life right now, the things going on, where can you see, where can you be reminded that God's grace is being extended to you right now in this season? Do I need to share first? You guys have heard me share over the years, um, just struggle with anger. Uh, in particular, uh, being a parent, how that's not natural for me. And this week, I had a moment where I got, I got angry with, with one of my boys. And um, after just needed space, walked away, and I went up, and, and Otis came, and he said, Dad, you know, he goes, you may, I, I apologize, and I said, you know, son, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And he said, Dad, it's okay. You know why? He goes, because mistakes are how we learn. <laughs> and I just thought, I, you know, guys, and I kid you not, it was, again, a moment when I get angry with my boys and I don't handle it well. It's, I feel a lot of guilt. I feel a lot of shame. I feel a lot of things, again, those tapes in my head. And it was through the mouth of my six-and-a-half-year-old, the grace of God extended to me. Like, don't worry, Dad. <laughs> mistakes are how we learn. Because in my head, that was not the, t- the tape being played but the grace of God being extended to me through my son. And I just, I held him and I wept with joy because it was God's grace extended to me in that, in that moment. How about you? How is God's being extended to, grace being extended to you in this season? I can name some others, but what about you?